Okay, sorry. <laughs> okay, Christina, so our last class, we got a really, really fantastic roundup of Parsha Sav, so we get to jump into a bunch of stuff that we want, no, not true. Shmini, it's Parsha Shmini. Thank you for catching my mistake. No. Uh, um, so we did, we went through a whole round of Parsha Shmini and we, we have now this class, we're going to kind of highlight a couple of stuff and focus on, on what does it mean to us today? Before we start the Parsha, I want to add two things. This week is first, first of all, this week is Shabbos Mavarchim. It's the week that we bless the new month, the month of Nisan. We're going to bless the month of Nisan. Next Shabbos, next Friday and Shabbos is going to be Rosh Chodesh. Okay, so what happens is, back to our conversation, sorry, about the four additional sections that we read, the next week, because it's Rosh Chodesh, we read the section of HaChodesh HaZelachem, of, the, of the, the getting the laws of the new moon, of Rosh Chodesh. That didn't make sense in English. <laughs> next Shabbos, because it's Rosh Chodesh, so it's either the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh or when Rosh Chodesh is on Shabbos, we read Rosh Chodesh Nisan, we read the laws of the calendars. How do we have a Jewish calendar? The whole thing that Moshe gave the Jews in the desert? No, gave it to the Jews in Egypt. And this week, as the week before, we're going to read Parshas Para. This week we read, we're going to take out two Torah scrolls and we're going to read the section from Shemos which is going to talk about the red heifer, the paraduma, which means that in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, which we discussed briefly, in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, if somebody wanted to come to the temple, they had to be tahor, they had to be accessible to spirituality. And so now, since we are coming to a time where everybody has to go to the Beis HaMikdash, right? We don't have one now, but it could happen. Um, but in biblical times, they were getting closer to the time when everybody was going to come to the Beit HaMikdash to bring their Pesach sacrifices. So therefore, anybody who is at this point in a state of Tumah, which is poorly translated as impure, or more, I like to call it, inaccessible to holiness, meaning they can't come into the temple or the tabernacle uh, area, um, so now the now we start reading in the in the it's almost like you know getting your WhatsApp hey Pesach's coming and if you haven't kind of changed your status now's the time to do it and because it takes a solid week to do this process they're going to start giving us the warnings now as we're leading up to the time so it's getting closer uh, Pesach is getting closer so that so this week we have two Torah scrolls so we're going to have the regular and we're also going to have Parshas Par, which is in fact, it's 22 verses in the book of Exodus. And that is going to be, so that's the second thing that I want to point out. So this week is Shabbos Mubarakim. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're blessing the new month. We're blessing the month of Nisan. So we're going to, you know, finish it. Well, I'll finish my thought now, right? So Nisan is the month of Pesach, obviously. And it's the month, and the the Pesach as a holiday is the focus is liberation. Also, the month of Nisan has the letter Nun in it, which is refers to a nace, a miracle, and it has actually two. Nisan has two Nuns. It has in the beginning and the end. It has a Nun, so that's like a very miraculous kind of month. So it's like this place of liberation with lots of miracles. And because we are now blessing the month, and we're still in Adar, and we know that Adar is 
What's the motive? Of, the, the motif of Adar? Joy. That means all of our places of liberation, that places are places of wanting to be released from something that's holding us back and holding us down. Uh, we, should, we now have that extra power of doing it, but with joy. Not because of like, oh, this is terrible, this is so hard, but like, whoa, this is an ability that I have right now. This is a special time. And all these pieces coming together that I could really reach for that place of miracle, reach for that place of liberation, but not from a place of, uh, but from a place of like, yeah, bring it on, man. Okay. So that's, that's, so that's really what's going on over here. So that's the beginning. So those are two special things that are going on this week. Okay. Now back into our Parsha, we have a couple of things that we, I opened up the wrong Parsha. How do you like that? I opened up. <laughs> that's pretty awkward. Okay, so we're starting starting Parsha Shmini. We have a couple of things that we brought up in, in our class last time that we said we wanted to talk about, and hopefully we're, I'm gonna, I remembered all of them and we will start. So we're going to start first of all, and we're going to hopefully make some good chunk out of the whole thing. It should all somehow work together. Okay, so Parsha Shmini, we're starting off. We talked a little bit about Shmini, about it being on the eighth day, where we're having this new Parsha is opening up, and it doesn't, it, it really is the first day. It's the first day that Aaron is the priest. It's the first day that he's acting. It's the first day that everything's happening. And yet we call it the eighth day. We're tagging it to the seven days of inauguration that happened beforehand. And one of the things that, that Hasidus talks about a lot is the difference between seven and eight, right? Seven, we know, is a normal cycle. Seven days of the week. Seven, you know, Shabbos comes every seventh day, the Shemitah is every seven years, the Yovel is every seven, seven to seven, everything, everything works in sevens, the Mesa the, the menorah has seven branches, there's lots of sevens going on, seven is normal, seven is perfection in nature, and yet when we talk about having a relationship with Hashem, and it's really like going to be starting now, we're starting from a place of eight, we're starting from a place of infinity, from a place of beyond eight, sorry, beyond seven, we're talking about, for example, we know that a bris that you do for a baby, we do on the eighth day, where it's not, it, it has a full cycle of seven, but we're tapping into a deeper, more transcendent level, and eight becomes a messianic kind of number, comes in, it becomes an infinity number, talks about in, in talks about that in the, the King David's harp had seven strands, but the harp of Mashiach is going to have eight strands, and things in Mashiach's time are going to be more eight, meaning we have to have you can't just jump to eight, though. You know what I'm saying? You need to have that buildup of normal, of the seven regular being solid and having done the preparation. And then you get blessed with the place of eight. So here we have this partial, this, this whole dedication where Hashem is actually, his, his presence is actually going to rest on the people's work. Um, remember, we've been talking about them building this Mishkan for a long time. Many, many parishes. What did they have to do? And what did they have to bring? And how did they do that? And all of a sudden, it's actually really going to happen. Because you need to have that seven normal preparation. But now the question is, when we do ours, are we given the gift of eight? And that's really kind of what's being highlighted um, in this partial a little bit. Okay. Do you have a comment? No. Okay. The Seder. Um, so this is what's going on. This is where we're starting over here. What's the first thing that happens? We talk about all the sacrifices that Aaron has to bring. And I can, and, and what's the big? And Nadza Vanadiyu. And Nadza Vanadiyu. Their souls snapped out through their nostrils. Their souls snapped out through their nostrils. So it's the third Aliyah. If anybody's following along inside, it's the third Aliyah over here. 
And, um, and what happens is, is that the beginning of the, the beginning of this day, which Rashi says, this is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. It's the first day of the month of Nisan in the year 2449. It's a year after the Jews have left Egypt. And, um, and lots of stuff is going on and lots of things are happening. And there is this place that everybody's gathered, right? Like the whole week of preparation, you know, people were kind of coming and thinking, but like it was all, it was like prep, you know, it was like, you know, the people who come to see the play before, you know, you, know, you do one round for like the elementary kids and then you're like, the other kids come and over, right? So I don't know who was there, but on the eighth day when Aaron was actually acting as the high priest, everybody was there. They're like, yeah, this is the moment. This is it. Hashem's going to come and Hashem's presence is going to be felt here. And Aaron starts doing one service and another and another. And nothing's happening. There's no revelation. Now, we don't live in a place or in a time where we easily see revelation. But in the times of the temple and the tabernacle, it was quite clear. It was quite clear when God was there and God was present. And all, and, and so we talked about where Moshe and Aaron go together and they daven. And then the fire comes down and it's like, whoa, it happens. It's, there's, you know, it's finally happening. What we're doing, what we have, what we wanted to do, what we've been working for for such a long time, it's finally coming together and it's really happening and it's really it's here and everybody gets to see it and everybody sees this happening. And what happens to Nadav and Aviv? What is their reaction to seeing this? Whoa. Revelation. What is their reaction? Let's get drunk. So, so that, so, it's, so maybe, maybe because Rashi seems to tag them going in, um, in a drunk place. Um, but when you look at when Hasidus said, when you talk, when you see through Hasidus, when they talk about another van I want to back up for a second and tell us who are another van Now we know that they're the Aaron's two oldest sons. He has four sons, but the Talmud explains how Moshe used to teach Torah. Whenever Hashem would give Moshe a, a new law or something, he would teach it to Aaron, and then Aaron would sit on one side, and then another van would come in. Not all four sons. Nadav and Avi would come in, they would hear it, and they would each go to another side. And then the elders would come in and they would hear it. And then they would sit next to Aaron. And then all the people would come in and then they would hear it. Okay. Now you would think intuitively it should go the other way around, right? Aaron probably caught it the first time, and the people probably need to hear it multiple times before they're going to understand the new law. So um, so Hasidus explains that every time Moshe was teaching it, it wasn't just repeating it. But it was going a deeper level and a deeper level and a deeper level. And we know that there's four worlds so that every time Aaron ended up getting four levels of interpretation. Nadav and Aviyu got three levels of interpretation. This Canaan got two and people just got the law, what you need to actually do. So we talked about Nadav and Aviyu. Even within Aaron's children, there are no slouches. They're not just like, oh, stand like these people who like had nothing else to do and yalla, let's have a party, right? They're very, 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 very spiritual. And one of the things that we see is that after they pass away, um, uh, in, if you take a look in chapter 10 and verse three, Moshe says to Aaron, this is what Hashem said to me, ekadesh. I will be sanctified through the people who are holy. I'll be sanctified to them. And, and Rashi says, whoa, what are you talking about? And, and Rashi says that, that by, by revelation at Sinai, Hashem said that there's going to be a place of 
Hashem will be sanctified in a very, very massive way. And Moshe understood it to mean that somebody great is going to die. And he thought, he says to Aaron, I thought it was going to be me or you. I like, it's going to be me or you. And guess what? It was neither of us. It was not even a view. That means like when we talk about who are the two on from when you look at from a, like from Hasidic, who are the two greatest people flying around here? It was not even a view. And Hasidus explains we're going to talk. These are term. This is terminology that you for sure have heard in Hasidus class once, twice, a hundred times. You've heard the expression of Ratzo and Shuv, going, coming close Hashem and coming back, right? Not even a view embody Ratzo with no Shuv. They saw the light, they saw holiness, and they just ran into that space. They're like, we can't get enough of Hashem. We can't get enough of this holiness. We can't get enough of this fire. We can't get enough of this. We don't want to be bodied anymore. We don't want to be stuck in a body with restrictions, with limitations. And if you look at all the different things that the sages talk about, what did they not have? They were, they were drunk. They weren't married. There were all these kind of things. These were all symptoms on different levels. And, and it's explained in greater detail. It's all different things of like all those normal world things. They're like, we can't, we can't, we, we can't a wife and children. And, 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 but you know what? Hashem says real life comes back. Do you know that the Kohen Gadol is not allowed to go into the Holy of Holies if he doesn't have a wife? Want to hear a crazy thing? I think it's a crazy thing. Um, and, you know, in the context of all the kind of random crazy things that go on in Torah, um, a Kohen Gadol who's going to go into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, the sages actually have prepared an understudy wife for him. If what happens, if his, he goes for the week before to the base of Mikdash, he's there and he's prepping and whatever. What happens if she dies during that week? He's not allowed to go into the, into the Holy of Holies. So there was always an understudy wife. He wasn't married to her, obviously. There was some, a backup. There was somebody, there was somebody like on tap, right? Like, right? Because if he wasn't married, he was not allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. Another one of you said, what? If he was warning, he was allowed to go? No, the question would end up being, he's not allowed to take on the, the place of mourning. He would probably not be allowed to take on the, I don't know how that would, I don't know how that would work, practically speaking. You're right. If he was mourning, I don't know, but we see here with another one of you, the very much that the show must go on. So, I guess he would have two options. Option one is to step away and let the understudy Kohen Gadol go in or take understudy wife and then go in. I don't know exactly how it would work with his mourning process, but I would imagine that he can't be mourning and going in there. Gotta, you're either representing the people or representing yourself. So I don't even know if it actually happened. The, the, Talmud, doesn't, the Talmud doesn't say if it actually ever happened. So this this girl's just like sitting at home waiting for the first one to die. I don't I, I don't I don't I don't even know like the actual mechanism of how it actually worked. But this was the conversation that goes on in the Talmud, right? And then what right? And then what happens? Like it doesn't. Oh, you know, like I got, I'm gonna marry somebody else this year. I don't know. I don't know the practicalities, but I'm saying from the headspace of it, it was so important for the Kohen Gadol to be grounded, and grounded means wife. Grounded means family. Grounded means reality. Nadav and Aviyu said, no. not for us. 
Like we can't, this is just not, we just want to be enveloped in godliness and holiness. And so for them, it's actually not really a sin. They got exactly what they wanted. They wanted to be sucked into holiness for lack of a better word. And what happened? They were, their bodies were intact. Their souls were gone. They got to be with God and they didn't have to deal with all the stuff that a body needs and a body wants and all those requirements. But at the same time, I'm going to get to a second, but at the same time, God's like that worked for them, but we shouldn't repeat the story. This is not the way that we live our lives. This is not what Judaism is looking for, for people to be so caught up in the, you know, crazy holiness of God that they can't have a job and a family and, 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 live in this world. The whole point is to take that energy and to take that excitement and bring it back. So for them, they're kind of getting a pass. Because if you see the way that the language of the Chumash, they're, they're, it's, it's very special. Then nobody's like, oh my gosh, these lepers, I can't believe they ruined their whole party. Like, that's not what's going on. They're really referred to as very, very holy people. And God's like, but that's not really what I want from the world. That's not what the whole point of the world was. The whole point of the world is to find God and bring it into your life and to have all that holiness and special and all that, those special moments in your life, in your reality, not just kind of like, I'm out of here. That was okay for them, but it's not okay for us. Sorry, you had a question? Yeah. Yes. Um, so when none of them, what they did, is that like a vicious act or was it not like the opposite of that? Mm. That's a really good question. Uh, can I make up an answer? Yeah. <laughs> I I would because I don't I have I don't know. So this is a made up answer. But I feel ask somebody else exactly. But I feel that there's a holy yeshes to it. Yeah. Meaning at the end of the day, it is selfish, and that's really what yeshes is. Yeshes is about me and what I want and what I need. It's not like their 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 yeshus is taking them to this place of like you know delusions of grandeur and blah 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 it's not that but at the same time it is it, it's not what god is looking for it's not what god wants god wants you to take your passion and take your life and live it and bring it into this world and really impact the world could you imagine well you, i mean like in the what if games which are not so helpful like what if they would have taken that passion and brought it back down how would how would the world have been different? Like clearly that wasn't the plan because it didn't happen. So no, you know whatever. But 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 like that's the question. And 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 I think that part of what we need to learn is to strive, is to strive high, and not be not be happy with just like it's a baba, it's okay, we're fine. But to really want that fire, to really want to have a holy fire, and then to channel it. And then bring it, and then bring it back, not to run into it, meaning not to run into the flame, but how many times we're just too tired to strive for more. We're just too busy with other stuff. And I think that one of the, the positive lessons from another one of you is that we should strive. We should want to really be engulfed by holiness and then choose not to be, and then choose to bring it back down which is a whole different kind of, you know, situation. Instead of just saying like this level here is good enough, aim for higher, aim for more, and then say, how do I bring it back in? So 
our, our challenge, the mission should we should we accept it is to reach for holiness, but then bring it back down in. Okay, yes. I was just, just a really quick comment is that I think that's so cool what you said about how they just want to be closer to God and so in this instance, fine, but like we shouldn't do that. But they actually got taken out in the holiest way because the fire from Shemayim that was all about lasting pressure came and took their souls exactly. out. It was exactly what they wanted. And our impulse wasn't allowed to learn because it wasn't necessarily a sad thing. Meaning, okay, so now, now, yes and no. Meaning for them, it's not a sad thing. Right. But for the people who are left behind, it is a sad thing. It is sad, okay? Which is going to lead me to the second point that I wanted to, I wanted to talk about. But um, the second point was the disagreement between Moshe and Aaron, which we discussed last time, that there was a sacrifice that they had not eaten, that the, that the sons of Aaron, the remaining sons, now Elazar and Itamar move up, um, and now we're down to three Kohanim, right? There's only three Kohanim at this point. There were five, and now there are three. Right, we know from the tribe of Levi, from one family, from our, from one of the sons of Levi, from only from one of their grandchildren, from Aaron. There's where the Kohanim come. So all the other ones are Levites. So of our five are now down to three. Um, and 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 Moshe says, you know, the show must go on. It's an interesting thing, by the way. Just you know, in the where things happen. Um, it says over here, um, I want to say two things. First of all, I want to say two things. First of all, first of all, what? You know, we're coming from Agar. We've heard all these, we've learned all these classes about how like drunk isn't only alcohol. It's like being high in God kind of thing. Yeah. And that's really what's going on over here. Yeah. Um, um, right. But, you, but now can you bring it down? Because or else you're just a weirdo. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> okay, I want to say something. I want to say something. First of all, in verse three, where Moshe tells Aaron about um, about the, that these Hashem is being sanctified with these um, with his sons, and Aaron's response is Vayidom Aaron. He's silent. And could you just imagine the amount of restraint it takes in the place of such pain to not respond to like be able to hold that space i'm gonna have to assimilate and uh, figure it out afterwards but right now aaron's response is silence and it's very interesting because you know we used to we're after pesach we run into a lot of the israeli you know we have yom hashoah yom hazikaron and um and I was having a conversation with somebody about is standing silent by a, during a siren the Jewish response? Or should we say to Hillim? Or should we, you know, what should we do in the time of that silent, of that siren, which is, is going to be after Pesach? And there is this place where we're having this come back and forth. I was saying, say Tillim and, you know, use that, that space to elevate. And then we also, but there is this place of silence of like really being able to be present in silence. And that's a very, very powerful space. So no, no resolution on that one, but, <laughs> but I just thought it's very powerful. Okay. Um, and uh, so in this thing, one second, um, it's, uh, uh, so in verse six, 
Moshe also tells Aaron and Elazar and Tamar that you have to, you know, the show must go on. And it uses the expression, that all the Jewish people are going to mourn the this fire, this conflagulation. No, that's the wrong word. That's that's beating somebody up. Yeah. Okay. But it all whatever. But all the Jewish people are going to are going to uh, to mourn this 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 destruction that Hashem has brought on the Jewish people. And if you ever hear, I mean, in Jerusalem, I hear it all the time. Uh, you might not pay attention, but when somebody passes away, and usually a great rabbi or a great person, a great woman, this is going to be part of the phraseology that they do when they announce the funeral details, the calling people to come and mourn. Um, Aaron can't mourn now, but all the rest of the people can. They can mourn on his behalf. And so this expression that all the Jewish people will mourn the, the destruction that Hashem brought is something that you actually hear in Jerusalem. There are these cars that drive around and announce funerals. So you, you kind of hear that often. I just thought that was a random bit of um, weird information. That, that we see that all the Jewish people verse 6, chapter 10, verse the end of verse 6. Yes, yeah, right here. They can't mourn their own death, the destruction of the Mikdash. No, here in this particular case, no, Aaron. No, 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 no. They they use it as a call to have everybody come out and kind of mourn with the mourners. Not that the mourners oh, can't. Aaron, Aaron. In this case, Aaron can't. But I'm saying here for the funerals, they just use it as like, how do we, you know, how do we rally the masses? They say all the Jewish people should come mourn the destruction that Hashem has brought. So it's kind of like, it's always so interesting to me when I see like biblical references, like in day-to-day -day life over here. So it's just, just interesting. Just pointing that out. Okay. So then we have the conversation that, which we picked up, we started last time of the sacrifice that was not eaten. Yes. Right. Um, the sacrifice that was not eaten, and Aaron and Moshe gets very, very upset about this. And Aaron says, Aaron responds and says that the the all the sacrifices that were specific to the inauguration we ate, and this is a repeating sacrifice, and we are not going to eat it. And, I, and Moshe actually agrees with Aaron in this case. And uh, in Tehillim, the, it talks about it, it's brought in Tehillim and brought in other areas, and Hasidus explains it that Aaron and Moshe embody different, um, different midos. They have different character traits that they, that they embody. And Moshe is emes, Moshe is truth. And Aaron is chesed, Aaron is kindness. And the question is, how do kindness and truth work together? Because truth is like, it's the truth, and it's the truth, and that's the end of the conversation. And kindness, chesed is like mitigating circumstances things we aren't always operating on our you know, most optimal level. And what happens, how do, how do we in our lives have both of those things work together? So where Moshe is like, this is the truth. This is a sacrifice. You should have eaten from the sacrifice. And Aaron says, the sacrifices that only were going to be for today, we ate. But the sacrifices that are going to come again, you need to bow to compassion. You need to bow to the place of saying, we can't, we can't pretend that we didn't just lose half of our family. We can't just, where we have to pull it together, we will. But where we don't have to, something's got to give. Those are my words. Those are not Aaron's. He definitely doesn't talk like that, right? <laughs> um, and Moshe agrees with Aaron, meaning there is a place where we say, it doesn't mean that the truth isn't true. 
It doesn't mean that Hashem's ultimate truth, which Moshe sees, it's a sacrifice. You should bring the sacrifice. You should have eaten from the sacrifice. But when Aaron says, but circumstances are affecting our behavior, and therefore we're not able to do it as we're supposed to do it. You know, we need, we need, we need a little bit of a compassionate leave over here or whatever's going on. Moshe says, you're right. You're right. Meaning we don't always go through life and say, you know, whatever, it's fine. We don't have to try. We don't have to strive. We don't have, whatever we do is fine. It's good enough. That, that's not, that's like the extent, like the, the, the chesed all the way to the other end. Like, it doesn't matter. We don't have to do anything. We're going to make the least, you know, we're going to show up and we're going to get a trophy for participation. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about understanding that our lives are complicated and our lives, we have ups and downs. We're in spiritual highs and spiritual lows. We're in emotional highs and emotional lows. And that we have to do the best that we can really honestly, wherever we are and to strive. So where Moshe says, this is the absolute truth. And Aaron's like, we can't, we can't, we can't. Where we have to pull it together, we will. And where we can't, we won't. And, and even in that place, there's a place that there is a truth that is relative to us and where we are right now. And that's what, Mo, that's what Moshe is actually acknowledging, that it doesn't mean that the ultimate truth is an ultimate truth, but in this place where I am now and where we are now, this is how truth, this is what truth looks like to me right now. And I'm gonna do the best that I can in that space. No, so when do we have a question? Yeah. yeah. Um, when you're talking about the sacrifice of the it was a it was the Rosh Chodesh sacrifice. It was the first sacrifice that were, they had that joy sacrifice and they ate that. There were there were three there were a bunch of sacrifices. Right. There's a bunch of sacrifices that get brought. Some of them are specific to the dedication of the Mishkan, and then there's also because it's Rosh Chodesh, they're going to bring special sacrifices for Rosh Chodesh. So, this is the Rosh so the Rosh Chodesh sacrifice, they did not eat because it's going to come next Rosh Chodesh and in a year's Rosh Chodesh, it's going to keep coming back. But the ones that were specific for the dedication, those they did eat. Okay. Sorry, did you have a question? No. Okay. Beseda. Now, the next thing that I wanted to talk about is going, um, we have the, we're going to jump a little bit into a couple of things of of animals, of the kosher signs of what's going on. And then we're gonna try to make sense of the whole thing coming together. Okay. Well, it's not said, it's part of the partial. We're gonna try to pull it all together. Yeah, 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 we're gonna try to pull it together. Okay, I wanna point out a couple of things. First of all, when we talked to Saren earlier, we talked about the animals that have split hooves and to their cousin and has split hooves. Um, and we mentioned that there are four animals that are listed over there that have only one of the signs. Now, the Torah lists only one animal that has only split hooves and does not chew its cud. Okay, it lists three animals that chew their cuds but don't have split hooves. It lists one animal that only has split hooves and does not chew its cud. Okay, if I were to ask you, like, what is the most not kosher animal? Right, the pig is the one that he's not honestly. He's no more not kosher than a horse, but like horses, I don't know. We don't. We don't, really. I don't know. Well, people do. People, like, I don't know. people. Now, there's lots of dogs. I was thinking, if I was asking of the land animals, there are so many that are not kosher. But what is your like? Oh my gosh, this is a not kosher animal. It's a pig. Why? 
Yeah. Okay, it could be Rory's dream. Can you believe like, oh, because they represent everything that is like they're dirty. creatures and they're dirty, they're selfish, they only eat, they roll around. Pigs are really smart, actually, though. Yeah, and they're also clean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take your word on that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Huh? I can't imagine that they're clean. They're not. They sit in mud. They sit in mud all the time. How could they possibly? So, have you ever seen a cow? No, but they I actually know. wallow. So do goats. And goats are kosher. Goats will literally eat everything. They'll eat everything that goats. <laughs> they eat everything. But it's interesting. Hasidus talks about a very interesting thing. What does the pig do? He holds out his feet and says, I'm kosher. Inside, I'm inside, I am not. But my external, I'm like a tzaddik. And how many times do we see behavior when somebody presents themselves as something that they are not? We don't like that. It really, it right? When we say, what is not kosher behavior? We understand that we are fallible and we all make mistakes. But when I try, and, and the way a, a pig sits in the mud is it actually puts its feet forward. That place of presenting yourself as righteous, as kosher, and you're really not said it's not okay that's not okay i remember years ago hearing i was having a conversation with my husband about these people and i'm like but they all look like rabbis and he looked at me like and therefore what they're people just like everybody else you know everybody makes mistakes and everybody you know whatever but i think that there was a situation going on there's like a big big like crazy scandal going on and I said, but everybody, they all look like rabbis. And he looked at me like, I was like, what does that have to do with anything? I think that's the hardest thing to hear. Like, like, like the whore and then like the rabbis, like the rabbi from Maryland. She's like, okay. There's no, there's no end to stories of terrible things that people do. But somehow when there is a, well, somehow, but somehow when there is somebody who has a persona of holiness, whether you're talking about clergy, Liminehem, or people of power, whatever it is, people who present themselves as, you know, we're, we're, we're good, we're law-abiding, we're, we're, we're special, we're closer to God than you are, and therefore, you when they mess up, it's much worse. It hurts much more. It hurts much more. But that's not actually my point. That's, that's just a side rant from our rant on the side. That's my side rant. But I think that the question for ourselves is, it's okay to not be perfect. We are not perfect. None of us are perfect. But do I present myself as, put me on a pedestal because I am perfect and everything I do is, is praiseworthy and I never make a mistake? That's not okay. That's not okay. And for ourselves, I mean, we know enough examples of people who look one way and behave a different way. And we all understood instinctively like that doesn't sit well with us. But I think that for us, what we're trying to do is to really get our insides and our outsides to match. It's not enough 
to dress a certain way and to behave a certain way. But inside, we want to work on making sure that our insides and our outsides match. And and if it takes more time, here's my plug. This is not a halachic answer. But if it takes more time to get our insides lined up, then wait with the outside. Wait with the outside. Because there's a place where we look a certain way and we are judged by a certain standard. And if we aren't doing that, I mean, obviously take it up with your your rabbi and your mentor and whatever. I'm not talking about details, but, you know, if this is the behavior that I'm still struggling with, do I do it with a kippah? Do I do it? You know what I mean? Like all of those things are conversations and we really want to try to make sure that our outside and our inside match to the best of our ability. We all make mistakes. I'm not saying that we're ever going to be perfect, but are we trying? Are we trying to have that transparency. And that's, that I think is something that's really, really very important for us to, to try to reach for. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, the other thing that I wanted to reach, I wanted to talk about is um, if you go to verse nine, chapter 11, verse nine, we're talking about the things that are in the water, the fish in the water, Everything that has snapir vikaskeset, things that have fins and scales in the water, they're the ones that you're allowed to eat. And whatever doesn't have um, uh, fins and scales in the water and everything, and all those creepy crawly bug looking things, then don't eat those. Those we're not supposed to eat. Okay. So, um, so the, okay. So, first of all, I want to say something interesting, an interesting random halachic thing. If you notice that the Torah says that they need to have fins and scales in the water. And there's in fact a fish, I don't remember which one it is, that, that when it leaves the water, its, it's scales fall off. It has scales in the water, but the scales fall off when it comes out of the water. And halachically that's a kosher fish because it needs to have scales in the water. There's a whole conversation. Now, how do they know this? Because they once there with the conversation with the early rabbis, they saw this fish and it had one or two scales still on it. And then they realized that in the water it has scales and it's in fact a kosher animal. So the, the, the halachic qualification that has fins and scales in the water. Now, the Gemara brings an interesting conversation. The Gemara says that every single, every single fish that has scales also has fins but not every fish that has fins has scales, right? That's what the Gemara says. Any single fish that has fins, sorry, that has scales also has fins, but not every fish that has fins has scales, right? Huh? Why not so why not say just scales? So the, after the Rebbe passed away, he found notebooks of his writings that he'd written for himself. And um, on... Uh, I guess they matched the English, the Hebrew date to the English date, and it turned out that it was September 11th, 1941, that he wrote an entry in his diary that was later expanded on. And, and he asked this question, why do you need to list both of these things? Why do you need to list both of these qualities? So he said that the scales represent mitzvot. Mitzvot are what give, sorry, not true. Mitz, uh, the scales represent yirat shamayim. It re represents that. I'm losing my word. It represents integrity. And the fins, okay. scales, your chamayim are integrity. Your chamayim is integrity. Scales are integrity. Scales is your chamayim. How is your chamayim integrity? 
fear of heaven? Yeah. Because integrity means I'm going to do the right thing. That's what integrity is. Integrity is I'm going to do the right thing, not the expedient thing. Right? And fins and it's our and fins are what propel us forward. For, fins give us motion. They give us forward motion. And so the conversation of why do we need both? Why can't you just say, why can't you just say that you can just say uh, scales? Because it all, it's automatically going to have fins. So the Rebbe writes in this, what's called the Rishimus, in his, in his notes, he writes that uh, in education, what we need, which is more important? Is it more important to give a child, uh, you know, morals and ed- this, these are my words, morals and ethics and and the 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 spine to do the correct thing, which would be represented by the the scales, or do you need to teach them to be ambitious? You need them to, they're going to move forward and they're going to be ambitious. And the Rebbe says the reason the Torah gives us both of these things is because you actually need both of these. You need both of these. You need. Both. I'm literally tripping over my words. This is so embarrassing. You need to have both of these characteristics. You need to, on the one hand, the the scales protect the fish, right? There's all these little things, right, that protect the fish, which also in a different in a different place it talks about those are being like the mitzvot that a person does, that all those little mitzvot protect the person. But the Rebbe talks about that this place of fear of heaven, of your shemai, of integrity, gives you the right guidance and gives you the right uh, protection, a protective layer, but the fins get you moving. Now, what's interesting is that the fish is in the water, right? And we know we talk about water represents Torah, right? Yes, it's, yes, it's, yes. You're a five steps ahead of us, the hidden world. We're not talking about that. The first basic level, water represents Torah. We're talking about somebody who is swimming in Torah, we're not just talking about some random bloke who's like, whatever. You have people who are swimming in Torah. And the question is, does my Torah, if my Torah is also with Yirat Shamayim, it isn't just for my whatever, intellectual curiosity, uh, agron days, whatever. Well, it doesn't matter what, if it is connected with, uh, with Yirat Shamayim, then wherever I'm going to go, I will be propelled in the correct direction. If I don't have the layer of scales, then I get to be a, you know, a killer whale, just doing whatever I want to do. But the point that the Rebbe talks about, you were talking about, he's like taking it to another level, right? Not just, oh, these are kosher, these are not kosher. But when we talk about within somebody who is surrounded by Torah, somebody who is living in the sea of Torah, it's still possible to be in the sea of Torah not be kosher you could just have your fins and you're still not kosher doing everything right you're doing everything but somehow there is this place missing this connection is missing and we're using torah not for torah not for god not for you know the benefit of the jewish people and then we miss the point and how do we what is the better way the Rebbe says, if you educate a child with morals and with your Shemaim to understand that there is a creator and that we are here as part of this bigger picture, then they will also have ambition. They will for sure have ambition, but they will also be protected that their ambition doesn't take them, you know, off course into like 
you know, the unkosher territory of, of where it could possibly lead them, which I thought was such an interesting thing for all of us. Like, you know, you talk about, you know, oh, we didn't talk about, we didn't talk about uh, the sign, the animal signs, right? Chewing your cut and splitting your hose. Right? Yeah, we also need to bring all this back to. We have to bring it all back to. So we've got to Chicago. Huh? And the birds are like, at the end of the day, everything's up there, and we don't really know the reasons for things that you Listen, the birds, the birds. One reading, I don't know, I felt like it's more something, birds that are vile. Correct. Correct. They talk about the idea that the problem with birds is that they don't have an easy sign. We can't, but but we look for we look for signs. We say, what is the in Hebrew the machanem What is the unifying camp with all these birds? You have lots of birds of prey, all those kind of things. Which is why, parenthetically, the descendants of the Shalah Kadesh, um, they don't eat turkey because the Shalah once saw a turkey like you know pecking at another bird. So he's like, that's a violent bird. So we don't eat those. There's different misstories in how you know, how you deal with that, but. Um, but because they don't have easily definable signs, we have to kind of come up with some uh, things that are that are kind of that what seems to be similar about all these birds. But we do know that 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 we're really relying in Masora for birds, for birds and the insects and all this kind of stuff. We're definitely relying on on tradition for that, which is not a bad thing to remember. Um, but the thing, and just a stand, a, a quick thought on on chewing your cud and having split hooves is that the hooves of a kosher animal are split totally. It's not just a little, it's not just a little bit, it's totally, it's a total split. And that, huh, total split. No, that's what the Kohanim, well, the Kohanim have five fingers, not not just two things, but um, but it talks. But but the place, the, the, the place of the split is to remind us that not everything gets mushed together. There are some things that goes that go in this direction and some things that go in that direction and they don't meet and they don't come together. That's one thing. And the other thing of chewing this cuds, which we didn't, I'm going to definitely go and Google that with my kids and see what that looks like. Ruffley is going to get a kick out of that. Um, is this idea of, you know, you ever heard the expression chewing it over? You do something and then you want to like think about it and go through it again. That's what a kosher animal does. We don't just say, oh, I did it. That was my behavior. Take it or leave it. You don't like it. Like you're, you know, tough luck for you. We need to chew over our behavior. We need to think about, did we do the right thing? Did we make the right move? Did we make the right call? Did we, was it the best that we could have done? If we never re-examine our behavior, I'm not saying we should like throw it up and chew it again. I'm not saying that. But if we never re-examine our behavior, we never grow. And we are always very happy with where we are. And so the signs of a kosher animal is that we're constantly examining and saying, did I do the best I could? Could I do it better? How can I do this? How can I improve? We're chewing it over, over and over. And we also understand that there are certain things, there's a split. There are some things that we do and there are certain things that we don't do. So those are just a couple of little thoughts to think about. Now, how are we going to put all this challenge together? We're going to put it all together. First of all, um, first of all, this idea of this week also being parashas para is that this is a place, this is the week which we are, uh, we're talking about holiness. We're talking about Kedusha. We're talking about Tahara. Um, even though we don't have a base on Mikdash currently, but that could change very quickly. And then we're, it's going to be a whole different set of rules for everybody. We're not going to know what to do, but we'll learn. It's fine. Bring it on. Bring it on. We will figure out how to do it. 
Um, but the conversation that Torah is opening for us is understanding that what is, what is, what is the paraduma? What is the red heifer come? When a person comes in contact with death, it's, the, it's considered the avi avotatuma, the, the highest, the father of the fathers of all, of all, the, two, of all the impurities. It's, you could say, well, it's unavoidable. It's part of life. But the question that, that Hasidus wants to ask is like, what happens? What happens when we come in contact with such a place of negativity? It has no source of life anymore. It has no goodness. It has nothing. And there, the Talmud actually brings this whole conversation. Uh, no, it's not in the Talmud. I lied. It's not true. It's in the Medrash. It brings this conversation that different forces asked Hashem what what should a person who sins, what should they do? And there's whole different kinds of conversation. But, the, but you know, this was as they should die and it should be cut off. And, and Hashem says they should do tshuva and they can be forgiven. And this place of coming in contact with the dead. So yes, we're talking about an actual dead person, but, but in a bigger level, no, not in a bigger level, in a deeper level, we're talking about when we come in contact with behavior, we're going to get with ourselves. And this is not our best. We're not putting our best foot forward. We're putting... It's not our living, vibrant, passionate relationship with God part of our life. There's a part of us that's like, well, what can I do? There's nothing to do about that. I can't, I can't. Hashem's like, even for that, there's a way of coming in contact, coming back to Hashem with living water, with all, with this red heifer, this whole procedure of how we do it. There is a way we, we should never, ever, ever say, I can't possibly come back from that. There's no such thing. We talk about how could you come? Well, we can't come back from the dead. Okay. But how can I come back from my contact with death? How can I come back from my contact with behavior that is not how I want to live my life? That's not, that's the antithesis of everything that I want to do. And Hashem's like, there's a way. Now in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, if we actually came in contact with a dead person, this was the procedure. There was water and there was the ashes of the red heifer and we were sprinkled. There's a whole procedure. But the, but the message to us is today, there's no such thing as saying, I can't come back from a place. I've done something. I'm sorry about it. It's not just enough to say, I'm sorry. I need to figure out how do I, in fact, repent? How do I, in fact, come back, come back to a place of living water, or living Torah? How do I come back to that place of holiness? Because it's not, as long as we're still alive, it is possible. It is possible to come back to that place of holiness. It doesn't matter where we are and what we are. And all the things that we talked about in the parsha, we talk about another man of you. We talk about this inappropriate running in, well, for us, inappropriate running into holiness of, of, of understanding. Like sometimes this, this is my, this is my, this is my take on the challenge. So no, if you don't like it, you can correct me. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> there are times in our lives we just want to go into the fire we want to go into the ghetto we want to just go into that space of holiness and say let me just stay away from the world let me just go into this like bubble of holiness and that's not really that that's really where i'm that's the only place that i could like have a relationship with hashem and this parish is telling us not only is that not true but you can have a relationship with Hashem, with the food that you eat, with your mindfulness, with the, 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 the things that you choose to do or not do, the lessons that we get from the fish. How do we look at interacting with the world? How do we look at interacting with our Torah learning? How do we look at how we interact with our behavior? 
we, we're not meant to just stay in this little bubble. And now there's really a nice thing about being in the bubble for a little bit of time, I will say. You know, when you go into the space where you don't have to worry about things, that's what learning Torah, coming to a place to learn Torah is. Like, I don't have to worry about all the details, except if you take care of your own food, then I can't help you. But things are taken care of. I get to complain that this is no good and that's no good. But all I have to do is to sit and learn. But I have to understand that at the end of the day, the purpose of all of that is to go out into the world and to go into my life and to establish myself as a person, as a, you know, my coin guddle in my own little life and to, to bring holiness wherever it is that I go, not just say I can only do it over there. Yeah, maybe there's some things I can only do over there, but what can I take from that space of holiness and how do I bring it into my everyday life, my everyday movement? Again, the food that I eat and the things that I drink and the people that I encounter with, how do I do it? And remember the end of the Parsha talks about us being holy. Hashem says, please be holy. Can you be holy? Because I am holy, which means that he's asking us to make better choices, not just expedient choices, but to make the choices that will bring us closer to Hashem, that will bring us closer to, to holiness. And not the, we could be just like that fish that could be swimming in the sea of Torah and still be not kosher. We could be doing all the right things and still not really be holy. And that's kind of where we want to step away from that. This is the place, this is the part that's talking about how do we reach a real fire and to have a fire for holiness and to have a fire for Hashem and to bring it into our lives and to bring it into our every interaction in our daily lives. So I want to give us all a bracha that we step into that space and that we step into that place of miracles. We're coming to the month of Nisan. We're coming to the place of miracles and redemption and we should be able to do it with such joy. We take the joy of Adar, we take the, the miracles of Nisan, we put it all together and we step into that place of holiness that we are just so capable of doing. Have an awesome rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you.